Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Hungary helps Christians worldwide. We're joined by Hungarian State Secretary Tristan Osbey. He shares how the Hungarian people are using their influence as a strong Christian nation to help people of faith around the world who suffer persecution, while other global powers seem to ignore the plight of Christians. Abortion in France. Since the late 1970s, death by abortion has been legal in France. But now, French leaders are taking things even further and have moved to add an abortion right to their constitution. We're joined by the National Catholic Register's Selene Taudier for the details. Fighting for life on Missouri's border. Brian Westbrook leads a group of pro-life Missourians who are working to keep abortion out of their state. We hear what it's like to prayerfully protest abortion outside a mega clinic just across the Missouri border in Illinois. The International Religious Freedom Summit takes place this week, a gathering of interfaith leaders and politicians led by Ambassador Sam Brownback and former chair of the U.S. Religious Freedom Commission, Katrina Lantos-Sweat. This annual gathering in Washington, D.C. takes a close look at countries where there are high levels of government or societal restrictions on religion and where they have been steadily increasing around the world. A large delegation from Hungary made the trek here to the United States to take part. A country with a strong Catholic and Christian presence, the Hungarian people are working to ensure religious freedom around the world, particularly through their Hungary Helps program. We're honored to be joined in studio today by Tristan Osbey, the Hungarian State Secretary for the Aid of Persecuted Christians and the Hungary Helps program. Secretary Osbey, welcome. To start, what can you share with us about the recent projects of the Hungary Helps program, especially in light of the unrest that we're seeing in the Middle East and elsewhere in the world? First of all, thank you for inviting me to the show. It is great to be back to EWT. And, of course. Uh, regarding our program uh, for supporting persecuted uh, Christians. We have started this program seven years ago. Uh, we have done so because of two reasons. One is that Christians are the most persecuted religious uh, group in the world by far. There are several surveys and research uh, which has resulted and, uh, and demonstrated that, that there are more than 300 million uh, followers of Christ in the world who have to suffer persecution, terrorist attacks, and discrimination because of their faith. Mm. The other reason why we have started a unique government program to support persecuted uh, Christians is that because Hungary is a thousand-year-old proud Christian nation, and there are not many countries and governments in the world especially in the West, who are still there to say so. But we observe Christianity as the main force that helped us to uh, keep our nationhood for 1,000 uh, years uh, along. You have asked about our recent uh, programs. Yes. Well, when the program has started, initially it was a response to the atrocities uh, ISIS, uh, the Islamic State, has committed against Christians and Yazidis in Iraq and uh, Syria. Mm. Nowadays, the focus of murderous uh, Christian, Christian persecution has shifted to Africa. So if you ask me about our latest uh, project, project is that we uh, provide life-saving humanitarian uh, support to the Christians in uh, Nigeria. They are in great need of uh, support. 
you might uh, have heard the news that uh, last Christmas, 300 uh, Christians were murdered by jihadist Fulani militants in uh, Nigeria. Yes. But according to recent uh, reports, there were at least 5,000 Christians overall who were murdered last year because of their faith in one uh, country, uh, and that is uh, Nigeria. So this is our most, uh, uh, our latest um, project. But we do also provide uh, scholarships in Hungary for the oppressed Catholics in uh, Nicaragua. And we have also uh, started eight programs for Christians in the several parts of the world, uh, in the uh, Middle East and beyond. Mm. It's so important that you're bringing these atrocities to light and aiding these people. From your perspective, Secretary, how are these conflicts currently affecting the Hungarian people, your families and so on? I know that in your work you encourage and you equip Christians to be happy and safe in their own homelands. Talk to me about why you take that perspective and that goal. Well, we show our Christian solidarity uh, to the persecuted worldwide. And this is from our very near historical experience. In the last uh, century, Hungary and Hungarians had to endure uh, the communist dictatorship, uh, which was anti-church, which uh, oppressed uh, uh, Christians, which has uh, even murdered uh, Hungarian uh, clergymen. So this is a very close experience um, uh, for us. So therefore, we know that we owe this solidarity uh, for those uh, who are persecuted. But we see another type of uh, anti-Christianity on the rise in Europe and in Western countries as well. These are not yet uh, violently persecuting uh, Christians, but they are against Christianity as an ideology. They are trying to uh, violate the freedom of speech and, and, and human rights of uh, Christians, even in, uh, in Europe, mm. in the name of the so-called uh, political uh, correctness and, and the woke uh, ideology. Hungary makes sure that uh, these aggressive, totalitarian, anti-Christian ideologies uh, cannot gain ground in uh, Hungary. And we protect uh, family, we protect uh, marriage, and we protect life in Hungary. Yes. Yes, and your impact on surrounding nations is an important one, given all of those strong convictions that you just mentioned, your pro-life, your pro-family values that you and your countrymen hold. Can you speak a little more to Hungary's current pro-life policies? Hungary uh, is a, has a family-friendly uh, government. <laughs> we, play, we place uh, our family-friendly policies in, in the center of, of uh, almost all of the measures of the, the Hungarian uh, government. The one, there is a, a pragmatic and a practical reason for that. Hungary had a declining population uh, for four decades uh, now, and we choose not to compensate that with uh, migration. We want uh, Hungarian families to have uh, more children. And Hungarian young couples, they do desire more children than they actually give uh, birth uh, to. So we found that the, the role of the government and the state in this case is to ease any financial burden. We want uh, having children in Hungary a beneficial one. So we have introduced radical pro-family uh, uh, policies. I'll give you one example. Mm -hmm. In Hungary, uh, if a, a woman gives uh, birth to four children, then she is completely exempt from personal income tax for the rest of her life. Wow. 
you heard it right. For the uh, rest of her life, she is completely uh, exempt. But we give state uh, subsidy for uh, family homes and, and housing for uh, couples and families uh, with uh, many uh, children. And we contribute more than 4 percent of our GDP our gross national domestic product to family uh, subsidies and other financial uh, incentives. And something that is very important, these allowances are not uh, distributed and awarded uh, from the birth of a, a child, but from the conception. In this way, without any restrictive uh, measures, we promote uh, for Hungarian families, we enable them to have uh, more children, and it actually worked. The numbers uh, show that without any restrictive measures, over the course of a little bit more than one uh, decade, yeah. the number of abortions in Hungary has dropped by 50 percent. Well, Secretary Osbe, we're grateful for the work that you are doing to spread truth in the world. God bless you, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. God bless you, too. French President Emmanuel Macron is pushing to add abortion language to the country's constitution. This would invent a right to end the lives of babies in the womb and put women at risk. In France, it is already broadly legal to end the life of a baby in utero up to 14 weeks old. But President Macron says his motivation to add abortion to the constitution is so that, quote, the right of women to choose abortion will become irreversible. France's National Assembly has introduced a bill that coincides with the president's plan, but it has to gain majority support in the conservative-leaning Senate before final approval. We're joined now by Selene Taudier of the National Catholic Register for analysis. Selene, thank you for being here. You're a French woman and a successful one at that. What's your reaction to President Macron's desire to add abortion to the Constitution to give more rights to French women? Well, in concrete terms, according to many legal experts, this measure will not change the right to abortion itself in France, which is already guaranteed by French law. Sure. But it is more of a cosmetic measure, a communication tool used by President Macron in reaction to the 2022 U.S. Supreme Court decision. It's a kind of message that he wants to send to the world, particularly to the U.S. with that. And at the same time, a kind of bone to chew on for the left and feminist groups. Uh, other experts have pointed out that no state in the world has ever enshrined such a right to abortion in its constitution, yeah. with the exception of Tito's communist former Yugoslavia. So its use of the constitution as a means of communication leads many legal experts in, the, in France to fear that the constitution could be in the future transformed uh, into some kind of normative self-service uh, to be used at the whim of politicians uh, to enshrine categorical claims in which each lobby, you know, each lobby group could demand this or that enforceable right according to the to societal demands of the moment. Yeah. So it's, it's real, real danger. Yeah, it's devastating that the president would want to send such a, a fatal message. Selene, can you explain the history of abortion law in France? And do you think the president has the backing of his people on this? So, yeah, abortion has been legal in France since 1975 uh, with the so-called Veil Law. Uh, it allows any pregnant woman to terminate uh, her pregnancy for, without having to provide any justification. It's a right to which a very large majority of French people are attached, mm -hmm. very much attached. Almost 90% of them, according to recent polls. I don't know how much we can trust these polls, but that, that's the numbers, and I think that's pretty much accurate. 
Uh, and so now the, the project to enshrine this right to abortion in the French constitution is moving forward. So with the support of the population, following on, on Tuesday, uh, January 30, the adoption of a formal vote by the National Assembly. Uh, and so the special aim is to enshrine the notion of guaranteed freedom in the constitution. So that's the topic on which the Senate will now have to vote on this very notion of guaranteed freedom. Mm. And it will be done by, uh, by the end of February. Mm, so lots of work to be done in the realm of public opinion, it seems. Celine, President Macron and other French leaders, you've alluded to this, they're saying that this is a reaction to our Supreme Court here in the United States overturning Roe versus Wade. Does it concern you that American policies pertaining to abortion have such a great impact on the rest of the world, especially your native France? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the fact that we can instrumentalize law to, to, to promote ideology, we can instrumentalize constitution, which are usually a shrine, a sanctuary of, of, of a guarantee of freedom for, for individuals and not just a tool that can be used uh, by, by, you know, passing politicians. What is, what is quite interesting uh, is that most commentators in France over the past two years thought that this bill would, be, would pass very easily because of, like I said, the public opinion is overwhelmingly in favor of that. Mm. Uh, but it might, be, it might not be so easy because several senators have already protested against such a bill. Although last year uh, they passed a similar law, but in different terms uh, to those now being proposed. The aim was to add to the Constitution the fact that the law determines the conditions in which a woman's freedom to terminate her pregnancy is used, mm -hmm. which is different from the pure guaranteed freedom that we have now. So the, the pro-life uh, association, uh, I would mention that uh, Alliance Vita, that is the main uh, pro-life organization, has strongly opposed the project so yes. far, claiming it, it's a real threat. It poses a serious threat to other freedoms, and it opens the way in the long term for the legislature to abolish purely and simply the conscience clause for medi medical staff or uh, to extend the limits for abortion. You mentioned that uh, that it was extending to 14 weeks in 2022. Nothing can predict that they won't do the same again after such a law is enshrined in the Constitution. Mm. And I'm glad you brought this up. I wanted to ask you about the pro-life presence in France. Is there any sort of pro-life resistance that you can kind of speak to more um, when it comes to this potential right being added to your Constitution? The pro-life movements in France are, to say the least, very determined, but less, much less powerful than in the U.S. That's, that's a certainty because they mm -hmm. clash with a very deeply rooted culture in France that is predominant since the, the end of World War II. Mm -hmm. And anyone who dares to display their pro-life views in France uh, are constantly ridiculed in the media, insulted, threat, uh, threatened, banned from public debate. The fact remains, however, that the activists are very committed. I'm sure they will continue to take the streets uh, throughout this legal process, but they are quite unlikely to be heard. Only the senators will be able to change anything from, from now on. So mm. we'll see what the Senate says. Yes. Well, Celine, thank you so much for joining us. Celine Tadier of EWTN News, so grateful for your analysis. Thank you for having me.
And now some more headlines moving the nation. First up, the Supreme Court just this week announced a hearing date for oral argument in the high-profile cases concerning the abortion pill, mifepristone. Mifepristone is used to end an unborn child's life by starvation. On March 26th, the high court will hear argument in two cases. In FDA versus the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine, the Biden administration is challenging a group of pro-life medical professionals who want mifepristone to be taken off the market. In Danco Laboratories versus the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine, the manufacturer that dispenses mifepristone is challenging those same pro-life doctors. Pro-life Americans are hopeful the pending ruling will limit access to mifepristone and at the very least stop distribution of the pill via the mail. The court will likely release its decisions in both cases sometime in the summer at the end of the Supreme Court term. And in Pennsylvania, the state Supreme Court issued a ruling that could lead to more tax dollars funding abortion via Medicaid. Since 1982, the Pennsylvania Abortion Control Act has kept it illegal for abortions to be funded via Medicaid. Now the Supreme Court says that law can be challenged in court and that it violates, quote, reproductive freedom. Pennsylvania's laws on abortion are already extreme. It's legal to conduct painful late-term abortions in the state up to 24 weeks or even later in pregnancy under certain exceptions. Now Pennsylvanians, even those who are pro-life, could be forced to spend more of their tax dollars on brutal abortions. And with many blue state leaders encouraging people to come to their states for what's come to be known as abortion tourism, leaders in Tennessee are taking action. A new bill introduced by lawmakers in the state would incriminate adults who, quote, recruit, harbor, or transport minors out of Tennessee in order to obtain for them an abortion. The proposed legislation says that no matter where the abortion eventually occurs, these actions amount to the offense of abortion trafficking of a minor. The bill also details that even if the minor consented to the abortion, the adult transporting her would be committing a criminal offense subject to civil action. And an Alabama controversy over the death of Kenneth Smith, who was convicted of murder and charged with the death penalty. Some Catholic groups are expressing concern about the means by which Smith was executed through nitrogen hypoxia. A first ever in the use of nitrogen to execute a death row prisoner, reporters who witnessed the execution said that Smith appeared conscious for several minutes after the poisonous gas was administered and that he shook vigorously before losing consciousness. The Catholic Mobilizing Network said they believe Smith should not have been killed in this way, given that the method has not been tested. Although the Alabama bishops asked for the death penalty to be replaced with non-lethal means of punishment back in a 2016 statement, the local bishops did not give comment on this specific execution. Bishop Reka of Birmingham referred to the Alabama bishop's statement, which adds that society does not teach respect for life by taking life. The U.S. Bishops' Conference has yet to weigh in. Despite these concerns, the U.S. Supreme Court allowed the killing to occur by declining to weigh in on the merits, although several justices expressed their concern. This method of execution is allowed in seven states. Alabama is the first to carry it out. Coming up, the Catholic University of America made a shocking misstep when they welcomed a particular lecturer into the classroom whose subject matter stands in direct opposition to our faith. I speak out. Plus, we bring you to a state where sidewalk counselors have their work cut out for them. This, after the break.
You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to our program. The Catholic University of America fired a professor this week after she hosted a pro-abortion advocate to lecture nursing and psychology students. That's this week's Speak Out segment. Professor Melissa Goldberg invited a so-called abortion doula to speak to a class on January 23rd. Doulas typically provide emotional and physical support for women throughout pregnancy and childbirth. Rachel Carboneau is the founder and CEO of the doula company called Family Ways. Her website indicates one service as an end-of-life doula, not just for families with an unexpected loss, but also for families who are, quote, ending their life journeys. She spoke to students about her work to help women have abortions, used the term birthing persons to indicate that she serves women presenting as men and avoids language like woman or mother. She also explained how she tells parents to talk to older children about why there is no baby anymore due to an abortion. Carbono's presence on campus caused uproar among active students and alumni. The president of the university was quick to respond. Dr. Peter Kilpatrick issued a statement saying, as a Catholic institution, we are committed to promoting the full truth of the human person and to protecting human life from conception to natural death. In our rigorous pursuit of truth and justice, we engage at times with arguments or ideologies contrary to reason or to the gospel, but we do so fully confident in the clarity given by the combined lights of reason and faith, and we commit to never advocate for sin or to give moral equivalence to error. President Kilpatrick says they had undisputed evidence of the lecture because a student recorded the event. Professor Melissa Goldberg's faculty page is no longer available on Catholic University of America's website. Catholic universities have an obligation to uphold the dignity of all human life, especially the unborn. Dr. Kilpatrick's swift action to set things right is certainly to be emulated. And to close out our show, we look to Missouri, where citizens could soon be casting their vote on abortion. Pro-abortion groups in Missouri are collecting signatures for a ballot proposal that would enshrine abortion in the state's constitution and ultimately undo the state's pro-life law that stops nearly all abortions. While pro-life Missourians have their work cut out for them in their home state, they're also crossing state lines into Illinois, which has become an abortion destination for Missouri women. Based in St. Louis, the group Coalition Life works outside Illinois' abortion facilities on the border and provides resources and counseling to pregnant women. I recently spoke to Brian Westbrook, the leader of Coalition Life, about his organization's work. We have that interview for you right now. Brian Westbrook of Coalition Life, thank you for joining me. Talk to me about the footprint of your organization here in the Midwest. Yeah, absolutely. We started here in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, about 12 years ago, and then we expanded out to Illinois, starting with Fairview Heights, Illinois, uh, down in Carbondale, Illinois, and Chicago, and we just expanded out into Kansas City as well. That's great. And you guys protest or prayerfully counsel outside of the Fairview Heights Clinic, which is right on the border of Missouri and Illinois. It's a mega facility that's been around for many years, decades. Um, Talk to me about the footprint that that particular clinic has had since the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Uh, 
the Fairview Heights abortion facility opened just about a year before the Dobbs decision. It's the same uh, abortion facility staff, the same doctors, the same people who ran the St. Louis abortion facility on the Missouri side. Right. And so they decided to move all of their operations over into Illinois. And when they did, they announced that they were going to take the lives of 11,000 children every single year at that one facility. And uh, sadly, I think they might be coming close to pursuing that, that goal. And that's really, uh, their goal is to bring uh, clientele all the way from Kentucky, Louisiana, Tennessee, uh, and uh, as far as Texas, all the way to Fairview Heights, Illinois, not far from St. Louis. Mm, right. And talk to me about how your group has kind of met that challenge of sidewalk counseling in such an area that is so you know, rapidly pro-abortion. What has that been like? Yeah, so our sidewalk counseling group is a professional-based sidewalk counseling. Nothing else like it in the country. Uh, but we have a team of 43 staff members, including you know, thousands of volunteers around the Midwest. And we're excited to go and actually meet these clients exactly where they are. Yeah. And we were there on day one. Uh, when the abortion facility opened, our team has been there. And ever since then, uh, every single day they've been open, we have been there uh, saving lives right in front of that abortion facility. That's wonderful. Um, and we know in Missouri that there could potentially be a proposal on the ballot this year um, that could really enshrine abortion rights in the Missouri state constitution. Um, talk to me about how that potential is impacting your work in this year and and how it will shape the way that you um, kind of proceed. Yeah, well, what we have done, we started here in Missouri and now we're expanding into Illinois and also into Kansas. And the reason we go to those other places is because that's where abortions are happening. Right. And so uh, if for whatever reason the pro-abortion groups uh, get a ballot initiative on the ballot, first and foremost, and then somehow pass it uh, in Missouri, then we'll be doing work here in Missouri in addition to those other states and also all around the country. Right, because I'm sure this would kind of then become a landing ground for other women in pro-life states that are looking for abortion. Um, talk to me a little bit about exactly what a sidewalk counselor with Coalition Life does when, when they meet a woman on the sidewalk, um, kind of step by step. Yeah. So uh, as someone either drives in or walks into the abortion facility, the first and foremost thing we do is uh, we actually remove almost all pro-life language whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, if, if we go out and we say, uh, love your baby, or uh, or we even have graphic images, or even beautiful images. Right. What it does is it says, "I stand against you in your, in this decision," and so it's hard for us to start the conversation at all. So what we've done is really removed almost all language and signage. Uh, sometimes we bring out a check in here sign. Um, and so that's a lot of fun, right? They're checking in for free information about pregnancy services. Uh, we wear a nice little orange vest, and we approach them with just a simple question of, are you here for pregnancy-related services today? And that kind of opens the conversation, like, yeah, I'm here. I'm not here for pregnancy-related services. And then, oh, well, have you had a diagnostic ultrasound yet? And from there, if they haven't, uh, we then obviously will recommend it mm. uh, because the abortion facility didn't recommend an ultrasound beforehand that we're so surprised. Absurd. It is absurd because you should, before you get an, ultras get an abortion, you should know if that's a viable pregnancy or Absolutely. not. Absolutely. And so uh, we start that conversation with them uh, and also talk about the fact that, uh, first and foremost, you shouldn't be having an abortion, but definitively not 
if it's not a viable pregnancy. And so uh, the first step is really to see the picture of their baby on ultrasound. And we work with so many different pregnancy centers around the Midwest mm. who will work with us to be able to do that ultrasound. Yeah. And then uh, just having a, you know, a really genuine conversation about what brought them there today and that we can actually help them. Of course. Brian, we have about 30 seconds left, but I know that your team has plans to expand broader in the country. Talk to me a little bit about that before I let you go. Yeah, so uh, Coalition Life is currently in the Midwest, but we are have a long-term goal of being at 680 abortion facilities nationwide. Wow. So uh, growing our team exponentially throughout the next 10 or so years because we know that uh, when women go to these abortion facilities, many times they have no one else to stand for them. And if we're there every single day, these abortion facilities are open and around the country, we know that we can move the needle and ultimately end abortion here in our country. Amen. Well, praise God for the lives that you're saving and the good work that you're doing. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Thank you. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, X, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. And if you're interested in more news from our nation and world, go to EWTN.com forward slash pro-life and sign up for our newsletter, The Pro-Life Pulse. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.